welcome to the September edition of Life in the Tax Line. The back to school special. Are you excited, Hugh? I know my kid's really excited that he's going to go back to school and not watch the tax video. These <laughs> kids. What's wrong with him? I know these Come kids on. today. He's probably not even aware of all the tax consultations for private corporations activity. That's the biggest excitement we've had in tax in an awful lot of years. Smooth transition, Hugh, oh, I like there it. There we go. Tax July parties 18th, nationwide. 2017, uh, that was our announcement date. We've seen proposals on income sprinkling, capital gain sprinkling, basically sharing income and capital gains mm -hmm. in small businesses. Uh, some proposals to deal with strategies to convert income into capital gains that hit a lot of post-mortem planning mm -hmm. for uh, owner-managers, owners of private corporations. Some feelers, although not a lot of definitive information about accumulating investments in private corporations. Uh, a lot of major changes to what have become a lot of baseline bread-and-butter tax strategies for family businesses. And a lot of concerns raised that we only gave a 75-day window for consultation. we got to get answers or suggestions in by October 2nd. Geez, half of that time was in the summer vacations. People are just getting back to the office. Yep. And a lot of concerns we're hearing that there's not enough time being assigned to this. Concerns and, uh, coming all over the place, including from this room. And Joe, <laughs> he actually started a petition to solely extend that consultation period beyond the 75 days so we can quantify, we can understand the consequences of these pretty significant changes that will impact family businesses massively and, and beyond family businesses, private corporations. That's right. Get a little bit more rich consultation. and sure well, Joe, get... since you posted your uh, petition, yeah. we've heard concerns from a senator. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We heard concerns very recently from Perrin Beattie, the head of the Canadian Chamber of Commerce. He used to be the Minister of National Revenue in Canada, so who knows tax more he than this guy? He certainly knows where he's coming yeah, from. That's uh, right. Got a number of, of comments from MPs. They're all saying, we may not know what the right answers are, but we know that 75 days is not long enough to mm -hmm. find them. Let's make sure that we don't just come back in a year trying to fix yeah. what we're trying to fix because of what we tried to fix last time. <laughs> Let's get it right Come on, Hugh, band-aids are the answer. <laughs> Just use a little more duct tape. I only have a little bias there. Uh. <laughs> well, well, anyways, we encourage you to uh, sign the petition. We also have a link uh, below here to a video where we talk about those rules in a, little bit more in a little more depth. All right, let's move on. Okay. Kate, we certainly don't want anyone going home from their tax party driving if they shouldn't. So how do I get home? Well, you if you live in certain provinces, you call Uber, you call Lyft, you call some type of commercial ride-sharing service. But don't get out of that Uber or Lyft without checking the bill. Why? Because I sure hope you've been charged GSTHST. As of July 1st, Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, commercial ride-sharing drivers need to be charging GSTHST uh, because they are now considered taxi operators and there is no small supplier threshold. 
Now, you know, the other concept here is Uber, for example, they've actually got a part of their website mm -hmm. where they say to the drivers, uh, we are going to give you a specific form that will give you all your tax information needed. So we need to start looking for those pieces of information. Yeah. Yep. That may make it a little challenging to persuade the tax court judge you shouldn't get a penalty because I didn't know I had to do this. Yeah. <laughs> now, let's, uh, you know, the other thing I wanted to talk about here, let's say your Uber driver is an American. What does that mean? He's got American filing responsibilities. He should go talk to a tax accountant. <laughs> <laughs> That's your first step. This is the thing. Uh, like in Canada, we've got a T1135 form where you got to report your foreign holdings. U.S. has a number of forms like that too, just mostly informational. But if you don't get them in, huge penalties can apply. And what happened to this person, he wasn't actually an Uber driver. That we know of. That, well, he may, maybe he is. Uh, he, he didn't file the forms. 12 years, $120,000 in penalties. He was thinking, you know what, fine, I just won't go to the U.S. and they can't hit me with it. Well, guess what? There is a treaty between U.S. and Canada. CRA actually blocked the refund he was going to get from the CRA because the IRS asked mm -hmm. him to. So the, that IRS claw comes right into Canada. Yeah. Be aware. And it's not just the individuals that need to be aware of the clause of, you know, IRS <laughs> and, and CRA. The other way, the IRS <laughs> yeah. has made its recent comments that they're concerned that mid-market firms who are dipping their toes perhaps in the U.S., maybe have more significant activity in the U.S., aren't doing all the filings they're supposed to do, or maybe are playing games on charges across the border, related party transactions. They said they want to look a lot closer at mid-market entities that are charging between their Canadian and U.S. firms to make sure those charges are reasonable. Mm -hmm. Uh, distributors, if I've just got an arm in the U.S. that distributes the product I make, they want to make sure they're getting a fair return and, of course, paying their U.S. taxes. And a uh, non-filer campaign for those who aren't filing their corporate returns mm -hmm. in the U.S. because they're carrying on business in the U.S. And as we've noted, boy, the penalties for not filing stuff in the mm -hmm. U.S. add up fast. Yeah. Uh, if you think Canadian penalties are harsh, have a look at some of these U.S. numbers, and uh, you're quickly awakened to the reality. And they can be cr pretty creative in locating you. Mm -hmm. Joe, we heard from someone some time back who said this wasn't a federal U.S. tax. Most of their individual states have income taxes, and uh, so they got a letter well. saying, uh, we think you've been doing business in our state, but we don't seem to see your tax return. Mm -hmm. And the answer was, no, we don't do business in your state. We only do business in Canada. What would make Canada. you think that? What would, yeah, what <laughs> could have made you think that? All these photographs of your license plate on our toll road. <laughs> and by the way, pay your tolls. <laughs> and you also owe your tolls. Here's some interest and penalties <laughs> on that, too. <laughs> I was going fishing, guys, honest. <laughs> honest, in my bakery delivery van. Um, anyways, so, and the thing is, too, you know, the, the penalties taxes are assessed. It can follow you to Canada. Remember and Joe, that. it's important to bear in mind, it doesn't get any cheaper because it's a small operation. Mm-hmm. These compliance costs can add up pretty quick. So really, you want to factor those in before you make the decision to have a little bit of sales yeah. in another country. Just because you're small, small doesn't mean presence. you can be anonymous. Well, let's move on to the next topic here, Caitlin. Business losses. Yeah, let's get back to Canada. Talk about a proprietorship, an individual running their business. It's not incorporated. In this case, we have a lawyer uh, for a number of years. They were in a loss position. Expenses exceeded uh, revenue. The CRA looked at it and denied the losses on the basis that that individual was not, in fact, carrying on a business. They did not have a source of income. Mm -hmm. well, How do you practice law without carrying on a business? Well, that's a great question. In this case, the individual was actually uh, quite 
charitable. She mm -hmm. was doing very commendable work. She was doing work and charging her clients uh, what they could pay. She said she was not doing pro bono or volunteer work. Uh, the courts thought otherwise, in particular when they looked at her revenue per hour. It ranged anywhere from uh, $7.70 in a really profitable year uh, down to about $1.70 when times were tight. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, it's a reminder that you can't be deducting losses for personal ventures, for volunteer work, for pro bono work. Um, that's from the goodness of your heart. That's right. And if your account, or if your lawyer's charging more than $1.70, you might want to look this person up. <laughs> um, let's take a look at the next concept here, Caitlin. Um, IVI, indirect verification of income. So if you're a small business, uh, you might have noticed or you might be getting audited. Is this a normal thing? Um, well, we actually have a link there and uh, we discuss a little bit about the process. This is the concept. Syria will look at a small business and they'll generally say the controls aren't that good. There are more chance to hide income, so they have to do a deeper look. So they've sort of got a two-step process. Step one is the sniff test. We call it the SNF test. They might ask for your bank records. They usually, yeah, quite often. Yeah, bank records. So they'll do a deposit analysis. So um, we should clarify, we're talking about the shareholder's personal bank that's records right, now, that, not the corporate sometimes records. Sometimes the spouse of the shareholder, sometimes the kids if they live with the shareholder. The bottom line here is they start off with a SNF test. If after doing that quick analysis, they feel like something's wrong, then they'll go a little bit deeper and they'll get more and more and more information. Uh, thereupon, uh, they will make an actual assessment. This process could take a couple of years. So be aware, uh, it happens, click on the link for more information. It's a very complicated uh, process, many, many pages in the audit manual. Of interest, it's actually quite fascinating <laughs> to look through it. To tax so, people. Yeah. <laughs> Nonetheless, uh, definitely take a look there. Anything else we want to talk about today, guys? Charities! Okay. Yeah, just don't claim your losses if you're a charity. Uh, but what you may also want to do is go to the CRA Charities Directorate, a whole host of checklists you can look at to see if you are on side with your filing, reporting, activities, uh, requirements as a charitable organization. Excellent resource. It's really useful because a lot of people only deal with one or two yep. charities on a part-time basis. And uh, that's all we really have time. So. We're all headed back to school. We'll get the kids out of the house. Maybe we'll learn a little ourselves and hopefully see you next month. Life in the Tax Lane is presented by Video Tax News. The Video Tax News team has been supplying practical tax information to accountants and tax professionals for over 30 years. This Canadian-based company presents live and video seminars to thousands of tax professionals relating to both personal and corporate tax. Learn more at videotax.com. That's B-I-D-E-O-T-A-X Com. The preceding information is for general educational purposes only and deals with dynamic, time-sensitive, and complex matters that may not apply to particular facts and circumstances. Information provided should not be relied upon as a substitute for specialized professional advice in connection with any particular matter. For more details, see videotax.com disclaimer. Copyright Video Tax News Inc. 2017. All rights reserved.